by God. And then he goes on to say that, hey, I, I want you to know where you are in God's story. So he says, hey, you are your past creation where everything's good. The fall has happened where sin has entered the world. There's brokenness, there's disease, there's separation, there's shame, there's war. There's all these things, right? I think we all, we're all okay, not okay, but like we can all recognize, yep, world's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Relationships aren't perfect. He says, but I want you to know that you're on the other side of Jesus Christ showing up in the history where he lived the perfect life you couldn't live, where he died the death you do deserve for sin, but he rose again so you could have hope now and have hope forever. And he does so by pointing to the fact that if your relationship is with Jesus, if your, if your identity is with Jesus, then that means you have an eternal inheritance, he says, that is imperishable, meaning cannot die. It is, it is a glory that will not fade. And so he says, hey, I know that things are tough right now. I know that as a student, it's really tough right now. I know as a business owner, it's really tough right now. I know as a parent, it's really tough right now. But the end of the journey is a destination that exceeds your wildest imaginations. And while some of us are like, cool, like I'd like to go now. Or, or cool, Jesus, you can come back now. He says, but I want you to know where you're going so you can endure where you are. And not only that, not just like, well, God, do we just have blind faith? Do we just hope that there's a heaven, hope that things get better? He goes, yeah, I also want you to look to the past, to the past faithfulness of God shown in Jesus Christ. At the end of this sermon, when we take communion and we see, um, we remember his body broken for us in the bread and his blood shed for us um, uh, with the cup that you're looking back at God's past faithfulness to give you hope for a future inheritance to help you endure today. And then we said that we want to have a, a rooted sense of growth and, and all that because, hey, if I'm on this journey, if, if, I'm, if I'm living scattered in a world that maybe is hostile to God, but I don't want to be shattered, I don't want to be broken, I want to grow, I want to change, and nobody is satisfied with who they are today, at least you shouldn't be, at the same time, how do I have contentment and, and not be crushed with my own expectations? Or, or how do I not um, you know, just, just be, be inundated by uh, everybody else around me and what their expectations are of me? He says, hey, you are going to grow. And you're going to grow, yes, by God's word. You're going to grow by God's grace, meaning like something you haven't earned. And, and we use the word holiness which if you have no church background, you're just like, yeah, th that means lameness, right? Everyone knows holiness means lame, right? No, it means, it means pure. It means powerful. It means God's presence is there. It means living in line with God's purposes for your life. And so we said holiness isn't passionlessness. It is passion properly directed the way God would have for us. That with a grace-filled heart and a truth-filled mind can produce a transformed life. I said, great, okay, I'm, I'm growing in purity, I'm growing in God's presence, power, all those things, that's great. Am I just supposed to be an individual? Is, is, is what we call the gospel, the good news, is that just something that's just for me, or just for you, or, or just, just for me? Like, you know, it is something that's also for us. And so we said, this rooted identity, understanding where we are in the story, um, uh, knowing how we grow, we then last week looked at the question of, well, how, what is he growing us into? Or how or why is he growing us? And he says, oh, uh, it's the us. 
That if he was writing the letter to the people in, in Asia Minor, he wouldn't say, you, you know, you are living stones. You, individual, are being built up into this amazing, you know, beautiful, you know, living stone that's going to be on display individually. He, he'd say, y'all, y'all are being built up into a people. You feel disconnected, you feel isolated, you feel like nobody understands you, you feel like you don't have a place in this world. Like, God's people are here for you. There is a place for you. Whether you're a student at the beginning of your career, whether you're a retiree at the end of it, like there is a place and a space for you because God is building us up into, he says, a place of worship, a people of worship, a people of sacrifice. Yes, but also a people of praise, a people of purpose. So we said we were part of a rooted people to have faith in Jesus. Like, I want you to know, like, if you're like, okay, I do believe in Jesus. I want that final future. I want endurance now. It absolutely means being part of God's people. So whether it's this church or another church, like, you need to be part of a local church, part of an ex- what we call an expression of the body, an expression of God's people. There is no concept in the New Testament of just an individual Christian doing their own thing that doesn't somehow bleed out into and be involved with a group of people who love and serve Jesus together. That's what we call a church. If you didn't know, if, you, if, you, if this is your first time or, or, or if you're you know, not part of here regularly, like that's who we are. We're part of a people that are brought together by Jesus. And out of that, at the end of chapter 2, he says this, or sorry, not the end of chapter 2, in verses 11 and 12, last week we closed with these verses. It's a long intro, guys, but I think it's important based on what we're talking about. He says this in verses uh, 11 and 12 uh, in First Peter chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen as well, but he says this. Going all, after all that, he goes back to identity. He says, beloved. That's who you are in Christ. Beloved. I urge you as a sojourner, meaning somebody who's not in their homeland, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage at war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, so that, and those are people that are outside the people of God, if you don't know, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here he's saying, okay, in light of all of that, I want you to remember your identity. You are beloved. You're also kind of not yet home. And so there's going to be people who look at your conduct and they revile you because they don't like that you follow Jesus. Oh, and then let me just also let you know, you're going to have some conflict inside your soul. Like, anybody ever disagree with themselves? Oh, wow, so many people are all just like, yep, I, I always agree with myself all the time. Like, okay. Um, you know, <laughs> I disagree with myself all the time. And part of that is there's a conflict within me that there's part of who I am and part of who I'm meant to be and part of who you are and who you're meant to be that wages a war in your soul. And that's why sometimes you just feel like, ah, oh. like, okay, so... I'll break it down really, really clear. So today, this morning, I get a call from uh, Garrett Hall, who leads worship at 8.15 on a Sunday. He doesn't call me on Sunday because he's here warming up. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going through my notes. And I'm like, oh, Garrett's calling. I'm wondering if he's just like praying for me. He wants me to have a great day. Um, and, and he calls me, hey, hey um, did, you know, did somebody move my guitar? I'm like, no. Did somebody move a bunch of our sound equipment? Did somebody move some of our sound equipment and put it out in the yard in front of the church? And then we realize, oh, 
there was a break-in last night here at the church. We're on like number, what, four or five in the last year here? And I'll just tell you, as much as like I wanted my heart and soul to be like, I'm going to bring good news today. We're going to talk about the truth of Jesus. God is good. There's mercy and grace for you. I want to go right to trust God who is the judge who judges justly and, and brings and burns the chariots with fire. That's the God I want to talk about today. And I was conflicted, not just conflicted, like I had anger in me. I don't even have some in me now. But, like, we're here to talk about good news. We're, we're, we're here to, like, there's, there's a war that's going on in our soul, but, but I don't want you to think it's an unwinnable one. Because that's what happens when we have emotions that we don't know how to process. Or we have things and circumstances that happen in the world that we just don't know how to wrap our heads around. And so he says, on the one hand, you're going to have conflict in you, and there's going to be kind of some conflict out in the world. And the point of all of that, he says, is I want you to consider your outward actions and what they tell and say to the world around us. Because they're watching. Maybe you're in here today and you're not a Christian. And you're like, well, what are these guys all about? Like, you just, you want to hear, you want to watch. And that's awesome. I mean, we're glad you're here. And, and but it's this idea that you're an ambassador, like you're a representative of another, another kingdom. And so he's like, hey, I want you to, to keep your conduct honorable. So not if, but when they malign you, and they being the world that doesn't love Jesus, says Christians are just like this, they're judgmental, they're hypocrites, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, I'm sure you got your list. That at the end of the day, the only thing they can pin on you is that you love and serve Jesus. You believe the truth of God's word. Which, I mean, that's a lot. And that can be difficult and challenging, but, but it's gonna, it, that on its own is gonna cause enough conflict. And so he's saying, hey, how you act and how you engage with the world should be such that the only thing that they can argue with you about is what's true about God and true about Jesus. And so that leads us into two areas, and, and over the next two weeks, we're going to get three different areas, really, on how we engage um, with the world around us. Today, we're going to look at kind of civic and political life. We're also going to look at kind of economic and work life, like, like very briefly on both of those. And then next week, we're going to look at married life. And, and maybe you're not married, and that's okay. Like, I think it's still going to be really important for you. And the reason that we're not doing all three at once is it'd be a super long sermon uh, on the one hand. Uh, and then two is because um, like those relationships are really, really different. So we're going to talk today about how we engage with government or authority figures like your principal or whatever else in school, right, or your boss, okay? Um, and that relationship between us and government or between us and your homeowners association or us and Marysville Police Department that we were super excited to see this morning. <laughs> so glad they were here is completely different than the relationship between a husband and wife. Or even a, a parent and child. And so if we, if we tie all those together, right, we're going to start getting wonky where we start to think like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know, we're married and that means that there's a benevolent dictatorship with one person in charge. We'll talk about that next week. You should come back for that one. Okay. It's not that, by the way. Full disclosure, my wife told me this last week that that's something I said when we were dating. She stuck around. That was a huge red flag. She should have left. Um, she, she, she did say it. I'm super, super glad. But if I could go back and talk to 24-year-old Chris Rich, I'd just tell him he's an idiot. 
So, okay, that's all next week's sermon. I'm super excited for it. I really am, actually. Okay, let's get into this week's sermon. Um, and, and with that, we're going to see that, that how we engage with politics, how we engage with authority figures, how we engage with work has a, a, a matters. Because if you don't know, politics and work or school, or whatever it is for you, that takes up like 90% of your life. Now, I'm not saying you should be following politics 90% of your life, but how government functions and how authorities function impact your absolute daily life. Um, you know, yesterday, my wife and I were on a walk just to, to Safeway, and we made the choice to, um, to just jaywalk. Um, and uh, it's okay, there's no cars there or anything, but like we just, okay, we're not gonna follow those lines, we're gonna do this, and what we didn't do was like call the cops and like self-report, hey, by the way, you know, we did this, but like the lines are there for a reason. Oh man, I'm way off topic now. That's why we got notes, let's go. Obedience to authority is not our default response. Everybody agree with that? Is obedience your, it wasn't my default response yesterday when I was walking to Safeway, okay? especially when we experience leadership that is at best inept or at worst unjust. So how and why we respond with submission, obedience, whatever you want to call it, when our desire is subversion is that we remember who is ultimately in authority and who will bring perfect justice. And so we follow leadership now knowing there's a great king forever and that leads us to our second set of verses today um, looking at government. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 says this. This is a tough one. Be subject or submissive to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or the governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as a people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, but living as servants or bondservants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood or sisterhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So we're going to look specifically at just kind of, kind of government, every human institution. And some of this might sound a bit like a civics lesson at some point, but I think it's necessary. So um, to be submissive or obedient to earthly authority, that, like that's what we're called to do. We're actually called to obey um, when, like all the time, like, like no matter what they do. Like, I mean, there's some really nasty stuff that happens in governments, right? Like, like, if you're in Russia right now, like, does that mean you need to, like, totally get on board with the invasion of Ukraine? Does that mean you can't protest? If it's uh, 150 years ago and we have slavery in the United States, does that mean, like, you just do whatever the government says? No. Like, it's in general, be submissive and obedient to earthly authority, never to the point of sin. When government tells you to sin, you say, no, no, we, we follow God, not man. When government tells you to stop worshiping Jesus, to stop walking in line with the truth of the gospel, you say, ah, there's a bigger authority than you. And that's tough, right? Because this every human institution, I wish it was just like, you know, it's a blanket term that's not just government, but it's every legitimate system or structure set up by humanity to encourage flourishing. So that means authority and leadership structures in the church. That means like the authority and leadership structures in the school, 
right? Your teacher, your principal, associate principal. Associate principal is always like the, he's, he's like the hatchet guy, right? He's always the one that's like the disciplinarian so that the, uh, the head principal can just be like, hey, we're doing a concert today, yay, right? I got kids in school, never mind, okay. Some of you never got called to the principal's office when you were growing up. Good for you, okay. It includes business, it includes clubs, and it does include government. And, and the reason is, is given, it doesn't say because these institutions are so perfect. He says, no, you're going to do this for the Lord's sake. And Peter even gets specific, and he says, like, you're going to give honor. You're going to respond to the emperor, he says, who is supreme. Now, when he says supreme, he doesn't mean like over God, but he's saying like the highest earthly authority is the emperor. And so like, who, who's Peter writing about? Like, I know that all of you don't have, like, Roman history memorized. But at that time, the emperor was, was a guy named Nero. And Nero was absolutely crazy and insane. He was the perpetrator of great persecution. He, he was known to be a great persecutor of, of Christians in particular. And Peter's in Rome writing this letter to these people in these outskirts who, who Roman authorities spreading that direction, Roman cultures spreading that direction. And, and the dating of this letter matters because when this letter was written was during a time that the Christians were reviled, like, you know, they're kicked off Twitter. They're just like, you know, they're not, they're not seen as great in, in polite society. Nobody wants them as their governors. Like, like nobody's like, hey, I'm a born-again Christian. Vote for me, um, right? You know, like, like, it was just kind of that sort of deal. What hadn't happened yet when this letter was written was what was about to happen about 10 years later. And that was there was a big fire in Rome and, you know, and the Romans were ticked off. They're like, who do we blame for this massive catastrophe? And Nero's like, uh-oh, they're going to start coming for me because I'm in leadership. And so as a weak leader often does, he just goes and finds a scapegoat. It's those people. It's the Christians. It's their fault. They're not good citizens. They're not good patriotic Romans. They don't follow the law well. And so they started taking Christians and tarring them and turning them into torches for Nero's parties. In the great stadiums in Rome, they weren't playing football. They're throwing Christians out there literally to the lions. And so, I don't know this, but I wonder what Peter's letter would have looked like if he wrote it 10 years later. Because what, is it, what I do know is what's in God's word right here, and he says this. be subject to these institutions, even the emperor, who says in verse 14, are sent by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That caveats everything. So let's be clear, what Nero did was evil. There's been things that have happened in the United States that have been evil. There's things that are happening right now in Russia and Ukraine that are evil. World history littered with governments doing evil. And so... The framework Peter gives us to understand how do we engage with government is that we honor, respect, encourage, engage as it's there to punish evil and to promote good. Meaning, when it's not punishing evil or when it's not promoting good, you're on your own government. That's, that's you. That's, that's not our God. I mean, 
Christians have an amazing history of civil disobedience, of just wars to save those who are under oppression, of fighting and protesting for legislation that leads to greater human flourishing and the equality of people as image bearers of God, protecting unborn life. Like, that's, these are the things that we fight for. And again, our weapons aren't, and our adversaries aren't flesh and blood, but, but our, our weapons are the, the word of God and what's true and prayer and, and action. So context matters. Because this is going to look really, really different in how you engage in institutions and government based on where you live, right? It, it, you know this, like on a, a minor level. If you live in a homeowner's association, you best keep your lawn clean and you can't park your trailer out front, right? But if you live out in the county, put that trailer right out in front. In fact, get a four, few more cars there. Who cares if they run? Set them out in front. Nobody cares, right? Who cares when you cut your grass, right? Because, well, in the homeowners association, you're under that human institution. Out in the county, not so much. It, how you engage with your government around you matters based on where you live. Like, the laws in Florida are different than Washington. What it means to be somebody in the United States of America in 2022 is very different than an oppressive regime like, like China or like New Zealand. Look up New Zealand. It'll scare you. Okay. So how do we engage then? And I feel like I have to say this every time we talk about this topic because how you engage in 2022 in the United States is you don't, this is what I have to say, like you don't have an emperor. We don't live in an empire. We are a constitutional republic. And so until that changes, it means that our highest authority isn't our governor or even our mayor or, or even the president. Our highest authority, earthly authority in America is the Constitution. And a government then that is set up hopefully by the people for the people. And so that means that like, you, like even when he says governors, he's talking Roman governors who are autocratic that can control every aspect of your life. It's like you got to respond to that. Well here in America we ha don't have autocrats over us. We have civil servants for us who are to be your representatives. So that's why we say yeah vote. Yeah, you want to protest? Protest. You want to get legislation passed? Get legislation passed. Let's go. Like, do these things. That, that's totally okay. But we have a constitution that limits government's authority and enshrines our individual rights. And that might change. And, and, and what I don't want you to hear, because you came into church today for the first time, and you're like, okay, conservative Christian white guy who's 40-ish years old got up and he's telling me about the constitution. Yeah, that's on brand. Um, it, okay, is this. As Christians, there are words that are infallible that we rest everything on, and they're in here. So, like, am I a fan of the Constitution? I mean, do I like democracy? Winston Churchill, I think, said it best. Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other ones. I love that quote. Because he's just like, you know, Winston Churchill, like, you know, great um, prime minister during World War II in England. He's just like, yeah, our system's pretty janky, but have you seen what they do over there? The Constitution has some stuff in it that wasn't super helpful. And there's a lot of people in America that for several generations didn't get the full rights and privileges that some of us got. So, yeah, let's work to reform. Let's, let's, let's work to see justice and mercy reign. And let's be humble and honest about our history so that we're able to engage with our presence and, and hopefully 
chart his path forward that's, that's better, that's more just. So when government's doing good, it should be responded to well. And I think we, we, we make two big errors in this. One is um, we assume that the authority has some unique wisdom and that they should be respected all the time or that they're always incompetent and always need to be rejected. And the reality is the truth lies in the middle. Our elected officials, church leadership, your teachers at school, your parents, your boss, we're all just people. And we are imperfect. We are not infallible. And so we look for humility. We need grace. And the reality is when we look, though, at leadership, particularly at the government level, is they have such a great opportunity to either bring blessing or inflict harm. And so he says, well, how do we engage with this? And he leads to these verses here in in verse 16. He's like, okay, in all of this, like just live as a person who's free. Like recognize that you're not under the slavery of sin anymore because of what Jesus did for you. Recognize that your citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth, that you're an ambassador here. And, And I love these verses. Like he's, like Peter is so like in tune. It's almost like Peter is just like, on Twitter and watching um, cable news, because he just says, put to silence ignorance of foolish people. How? Because like you wrote a better post than they did? That's not going to work. I tried that once. It didn't go well. He's like, no, by doing good. Living your life as a person who's free. Obeying your parents, being a good student, being a good employee, mowing your yard, going to work each day, like doing the things that bring flourishing to you, to your family, to your neighbors, to your community, and beyond. He's like, do that? Be for those things? And all the crazy stuff they say about you, like, yep, they're going to say crazy stuff about you. Like, a like, it wouldn't take much like for a lot of people to get super upset. Like all I'd have to do is like open up a part earlier in the Bible where it just says God made men and women. That might be enough. God made men and women and then he brought them together in marriage. He says be fruitful and multiply and you're going to need one another. Oh man, that's, that's all next week. We'll get back to that. But just post that. Don't. Don't post that. But like, those are the debates right now. That's the stuff we're arguing about. You know, like, this is like, I studied um, psychology, um, politics, and economics in college, uh, uh, in addition to, to, to marketing. But those are the three areas I really focused on outside of business. And so, like, in the world right now with, with mental health issues, with economic issues, and with the political issues we have, like, I am just struggling, guys. I, I, I just wish I didn't know half this stuff because it'd just be way easier to just float through the day. Okay, way off topic. Let's keep going. He says that we get to be people who are free and we get to be fearless. He says, live as free people. Live as servants of God. Like, don't walk in evilness. And so then he sets up this in verse 17. And this is a framework that's super important for all of us to hold on to. Because it kind of, if, if the way it's written is a straight line, but if you think about it like a, like a pyramid, at the bottom is this. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. So that's just like, hey, if you could just start with like baseline respect, kindness, politeness, 
Smile. You can just, you know, not send angry DMs to people, right? You know, just like, just start with just the basics of, of being like a nice person to other people. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Then he says, love the brotherhood or sisterhood. What he's talking about there is, hey, like, there's a special unique bond we have as the church. He's like, these are your people. These are the people that you're supposed to love and protect and, and care for. And they're, they're serving you and you're serving them. Like, like, like that is the people that are your, your closest. That we're the ones that are supposed to care for one another here in the church. Why? Because you revere God. Revere or fear God. It's not terror, it's revere. God's at the top of that. Love and engage with people in the church. And then be respectful to your neighbors and to your government, no matter what they say, believe, or do. The challenge we have with that is, is we, we get that order flipped all around because what we really do is we, we, don't, um, we don't revere God. What we do instead is that we, we actually fear other people. So we don't like their reaction to us. So like, we'd rather just conform to whatever's happening in the world today because that's way easier. And so, so in that, rather than, than just honoring people and being respectful, instead, like, what do I have to do to appease the people around me so that, so that they will want to see me in polite society? They'll want to be seen well of me. The uh, theologian, um, New Testament theologian, Professor Mary Wilson Hanna says it this way, we become more interested in demonstrating reasonableness according to the standards of our age then we are demonstrating holiness according to the standards of God. If you walk down this path, I've been talking to my kids about this a lot. If you walk down this path, there will be moments of difficulty. There'll be moments of dissonance. There'll be moments where people misunderstand you and there'll be po- uh, moments where people understand you perfectly and don't like what you have to say or don't like what you believe or don't like the truth of God. And so there's a really easy path and you can just follow whatever the world's doing at any given point. But that's not what we're called to do or be because he says, no, no, you are not exiles who are supposed to just capitulate uh, and compromise with the world, but no, you are also the elect who are supposed to have courage and not conform to the world, but rather to conform to the truth and love of God. Okay, that leads us to our next verses. This is where he shifts gears a little bit from, from government, from politics, and, and, and those authorities to, to kind of day-to-day work. And he says this in verses 18 through 21. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But what if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this is where he starts shifting from, okay, big picture, all the institutions, now he's into work. Who, who's he talking to? Well, I mean, in some sense, right, the Bible's written for all of us, so he's talking about how we engage with work, but in this context, when he says, servants be subject to your masters, he's talking about this concept um, of bond servants. It was a uniquely Roman institution, so it's different than when we think slavery of what happened here in America, which was awful and horrible, 
But it's also not just like, well, like I've heard people who are like, well, yeah, I mean, bond servants, half of Rome was bond servants. So it's just like, you know, working your job, being an employee. Yeah, except that people owned you. That you couldn't move wherever you wanted to. That you couldn't keep your money. That you literally had a master. That's different. Some of us are enslaved to a master card because we've spent too much. Okay, but that's different. Well, I went full Dave Ramsey on that one. All right, we're moving on. Who he's talking, I want to be really clear that in Roman bondservant, there was abuse. It was not ideal. So I don't want us to pretend that it's not that bad, but it was just, it was this weird in-between place between employee, servant, and, and the type of slavery that we had in America. It was kind of in the middle. It was less than ideal. So you're like, okay, you're free in Christ. You're beloved. You're an elect exile. How, man, I should just like peace out. Like, let's just go do our own thing. And he's like, well, actually, he says, servants, like, obey your masters. Like, like just the good ones, right? Oh, man, I hate this, this section right here. Not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Anybody had a boss they didn't like? Anybody had a teacher they didn't like or don't like? Right? He's like, this is how you engage. That there's going to be situations where we all work for someone, where, where, where there's going to be situations where when you respond to your boss in a work context, that some things happen that like, yeah, that was a difficult work situation, and some things just, just stink. Like, man, like, I did get passed over for that promotion the way I shouldn't. Man, the way the boss is earning his business, yeah, that actually is a bit crooked. And, and again, this, we follow this principle in the same way, like if your boss um, is like head of a major drug cartel, like I would really encourage you to repent. I walk away, like definitely get, um, you know, a witness protection because, I, you know, that doesn't go well if you don't have that, all right? Like you don't work for bosses that cause you to sin. But he's saying again, when you honor everyone, that you're going to respond even when you have an unjust boss. So when appropriate, he says, submit to the just and the unjust. And so he says, don't suffer for evil, meaning don't suffer because you did a bad job, because you were lying, because you were sinning. He said, but you should be prepared that in life there's going to be injustice. It's really hard to hear. I wish that it weren't so. I long for a time where there's not injustice anymore. He says, if you're going to live scattered, not shattered, you need to be prepared that you're going to face injustice, and sometimes that's going to happen at work. And so as followers of Jesus, we're sent into this world hostile to Jesus. We should not expect greater treatment than Christ received. And so he says, you know, hey, you're following Jesus' example. If you're suffering because you're being faithful, that's awesome. If you're suffering because you're being foolish, that's an opportunity to repent. That's an opportunity to humbly say, hmm, I wonder how I could adjust to make the situation go a little bit better. Now, if you're suffering abuse, that they need to repent. You're going to face injustice. Jesus faced great injustice, and, and he left his home in heaven, and, and we follow Jesus as an example in part, and, and part of what we know about Jesus is that for most of, of his adult life until three years of public ministry, he just worked a job. He was a carpenter. I mean, I'm sure that he had clients at times that maybe were a little difficult. 
Maybe they were unreasonable. Maybe they didn't like what he did. I mean, you're like, well, that's because that's they didn't know how special he was, and they didn't know like, that he's you know, the son of God, and he's here to take away the sins of the world, and all that. And certainly when he got into public ministry, everybody would see, oh, okay, yeah, everybody saw Jesus the same. Like, um, Jesus like, healed a guy on the Sabbath, and people were more upset that he did it on the Sabbath than the fact that somebody was healed. Like, the religious people just went nuts. Couldn't stay. Like, you're not following the rules. You're like, you know, you're walking outside the lines on that one, Jesus. And Jesus was like, I think I made the lines. Don't you pull your donkey out of the ditch when it's a Sunday and he's hurt? Is this guy over here who's had, you know, leprosy or whatever his whole life and a, and a jacked up hand, like, is he maybe a little more valuable than your donkey? Yes. People are more valuable than animals. Love animals. Well, I know so much, but I know people that do, and I respect you. Um, he's like, but no, these people's lives are valuable. And so Jesus was reviled. It wasn't just that he was misunderstood, he was perfectly understood, and the outworking of that was that he got crucified. He went to the cross. Like, he submitted, keep this, he submitted to government and religious authorities that were super unjust. And he did so for a purpose, not purposeless. And so as we consider just our work and our jobs, um, Sebastian Traeger says in this way in Gospel at Work, he says, you work for the king, and that changes everything. So no matter if you're a student, or you're working at home, or you're working a job, like, know that everything that you do, that's productive, that is, that is, that is industrious, that if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you're working for God, you're working for the Lord. Regardless of that wackadoodle who's your boss, right? That teacher you can't stand, right? My kids love all their teachers. Yeah, okay. Leave that alone too. But I do tell them to respect them. All right. Last verses and we're done, guys. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25 says this. He committed no sin. He's talking about Jesus. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he's reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that's on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd the overseer of your souls. And so, man, in the context of who are we, what's going on in government, what's going on in work, it just brings us right back to who Jesus is. That Jesus was the perfect suffering servant. That, that Jesus did work that job. That Jesus did leave all of like, like the, the, the great things he had in heaven, came and lived on earth, like humbled himself. And, and like, could you just imagine for a moment being Jesus, you, you're perfect, you're sinless, you're, you're in heaven, now you're on earth, you're working this job, you're in the poorest part of the world, you've got great economic oppression, you have religious oppression, you have government oppression, all these things. People are like, who's your dad? Are you even a legitimate child, like, like you've got family drama, you've got all these different things going on, and, and you're, you're living your, your life, and you're Jesus, and you're perfect. Don't you think at certain points, Jesus wanted to just pop off on Twitter? At certain points, he's just like, why am I here again? To save these people? Oh, Jesus is far better than us. Far, far better than us. Because I would have had several breaking points. You want me to make wine at the wedding? Why didn't they prepare better? 
Fine, I'll do it, mom. Right? You know how you talk to your mom? Okay. But not Jesus. No, when he was reviled and rejected and suffered and slandered and faced great persecution, he said he was silent. I mean, like I said, my, my line would have been at the beginning of ministry for Jesus, even at the end of his earthly ministry at that time, in the face of unjust religious figures, slandering him, falsely accusing him, a judicial system that did not produce justice. He says nothing. He's brought into the local government officials. He's brought into to in front of Pilate, who's this governor uh, in Rome. Well, well, you look at that at like Good Friday, and it's like, hey, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be some sort of king? Where are all your people at? Because they ain't cheering for you right now. And Jesus says, no, I, I've got a kingdom. It's not of this earth. And I don't know about you, but where I would have just been like, oh man, I'm just calling down some fire now. You know, like, I mean, shoot, I'm angry that we lost some, you know, guitar. Well, Garrett's more angry about the guitar, but like, I mean, we lost the sound system. You know, I'm like angry. I'm like, yeah, let's throw some fire down. Jesus was, was is sinless, is perfect. And he endured the injustice for a purpose. So that perfect justice could be met out by God. That because of your sin and my sin and our imperfection, so that we wouldn't have to suffer what we justly deserve for our sin. It wasn't purposeless suffering. It wasn't just like, let me go find some injustice and endure it. It was so purposeful to free you from your slavery of sin, to free you from the shame of the sins that have been done to you. To, to take you out of, of being an exile from, from the garden, from, from the presence of God, to, to be brought back into the kingdom of God as a full citizen, as a saint, to, to you who are an orphan and estranged from God, to be brought into the family of God as a son or a daughter. And where he's dealing with these, these high priests and, and, and he could have been brought violent revolution and retribution to Caesar, Caesar the high priest, to Pilate. Like, like, he could have said, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I could do to you? And I think some of us see God that way. Like God's just there like, don't you know what I could do to you? And we're like, oh, we're, like, we're afraid. And, and some of that is because like, the enemy's there that, that's telling you that, that you're not worthy of salvation. You're not worthy of grace. You're not worthy of mercy. And instead of Jesus saying, don't you know what I could do to you? He's silent as he shows them what he's going to do for them. And the few things he does say is when he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Put another way, they're foolish and ignorant people that need mercy, that need grace that comes only when your faith and hope is in Jesus alone. And so while we can talk about Jesus as our example, that will crush you if Jesus is not first your Savior. If you tell yourself, okay, I'm just going to endure, just like Jesus endured, I'm going to suffer like Jesus suffered, that will shatter you. Because we already have a Savior that suffered for us. And it says here that he died for us. He frees us 
to die in our own sin because he died for us and to live to righteousness because he lives for us in resurrection. And so in the face of injustice, whether that's at the governmental level or at work or whatever the realm is, like, like we know we're all walking wounded. We all need to be healed. So Peter says, by his stripes, by his suffering, what we remember here at communion now, is that his wounds were purposeful because Jesus wasn't just our example, he's our savior because he was our substitute. And by his wounds, he heals your wounds and my wounds and our wounds so that we can be whole people in faith and repentance, that we're no longer slaves, that we're no longer subject, that we're, that we're no longer strays. That we might have a bad boss, we might have worse government, but we have a great king and savior. So we can be a people who rest in the midst of suffering and injustice because we know that we're secure because we have a good shepherd in Jesus who's the overseer, that word means guardian of our souls. Is your soul guarded by Jesus? Have you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus? Are you hoping in government or your job or or something else to, to save you or heal you? Jesus is here to heal you. Jesus is here to guard your soul, to make you whole. And then as we, as we go out and we live our lives, we honor everyone, even the emperor. We love one another in the church and in the church. And we revere God as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us and you are good for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray where if there are things that are confusing or or upsetting or, or distressing, Holy Spirit, that you would bring comfort, peace, and clarity. God, that your word would be made much of. Lord, that we would remember in all circumstances you are still the king up on the throne. And Lord, where that seems lofty and distant, Lord, let us be reminded that you came to us dwelled with us, lived with us, that you know and are in control of the big story of history and you know our individual stories and you come to bring us healing, to shepherd us, to be the guardian of our souls when we trust you. God, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.